What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast that is presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts that you hear every single week, and my name is Mitch, and I have two co-hosts with me today, as always. Who, who What's your guys' names? Well, my name's Kyle. And I'm Boozy. Hey, Kyle and Boozy. It's good to see Hi. you guys again. This is Great a very special this is a very special episode and I know I've been saying that over the last couple episodes but we're lucky because we've uh, we've been joined by some pretty fascinating people uh, some really interesting guests if you heard our last week's episode with the pop punk band Driveways that was awesome I know Kyle and I had a blast talking with them Total but this blast. week we are welcoming welcoming Cassie Ozark from uh, Regina which is just 2 hours away from us in the same province so first of all welcome Cassie well, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Absolutely. So a little bit about Cassie before we get started. Cassandra, do you prefer Cassie or Cassandra? Cassie's fine. I just Cassie. use Cassandra because that's how it shows up in my work email. <laughs> so that tends okay. to be where everything's the default, but Cassie's perfect. Perfect. Okay. Cassie is a PhD candidate at the University of Regina with a focus on representations of mental illness in the media. Cassie is also a sessional instructor at the University of Regina and has taught courses on inequality and social justice, mass media, the sociology of mental illness, indigenous health policy and research, and has also developed online and blended courses. Cassie is also a co-owner of local local eco-friendly store Martise and Tenant. Did I get that correct? It's Mortis and Tenant. Mortis. Oh, sorry, Mortis and Tenant. <laughs> That's okay, but you, and, the way you said it is very fancy, so that works. Yeah, Perfect. I liked it. And she is a she is passionate about community-driven research, promoting positive narratives of health and well-being, and supporting community-based justice initiatives. Cassie is also a big fan of horror movies, sci-fi, and all things spooky. She wrote her master's thesis on zombie films and social fears, and loves to investigate the things that scare us the most as individuals and communities. So I got to know Cassie briefly on when I was a guest on CBC Blue Sky Radio. Uh, we were both on the episode just before Halloween, and yeah. I, I was told that I was being put on with... It's so funny. She asked me for weeks. She's like, can you think of anyone to come on? And I gave her all of these options. And then she sent me back. She's like, actually, I'm going to pair you up with Cassie because I think that you guys would click really well together. And then because uh, I'd been on the year before. But in that short, brief conversation that I had with you, I was like, oh, I absolutely need to ask her to come on the terror table because we're always looking for people in Saskatchewan or you know Saskatoon, anyone, even across the world, people who share our passion and you also have a very interesting voice and background in the genre. And I just needed to have you come on the show. I gave you any, I was like, you can choose any movie that you want to choose. And immediately she chose Hereditary from 2018. And initially, just a little backstory for anyone, if this is your first time listening. We have reviewed this movie before when it initially came out. But that was two years ago. And it was with Jeff and Johnny from the So Be It podcast. And uh, yeah, we, we recorded that episode the weekend the movie was released. This is going to be a different conversation. I know people are probably tired of hearing of Hereditary or like all like it, it's one of the most hyped. They movies. would be wrong. Yeah, I'm not tired. <laughs> yeah, awake, baby. The reason we want we wanted to revisit this episode and look at this movie two years later. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into tons of different things regarding the film, but this isn't going to be just a general review episode. We're going to actually talk with Cassie about this film and why it had such a profound impact on you yourself. And so we're going to get into that in the main feature. But before that, 
let's just get to know you a little bit, Cassie. So what's your, obviously I read the introduction about you, but what's your intro to horror movies? Like what, do you remember what your very first horror movie experience was? Uh, I mean, I'm one of many in our generation. I'm assuming we're all kind of in similar age group who was, uh, scarred emotionally by the original pet cemetery. So that is definitely part of it. Um, I have this reoccurring memory and I, I don't know what movie it was, but I have a memory of seeing part of a horror movie at my grandma's house. And my grandma really loves spooky movies, horror movies, like true crime stuff. Um, and so she would always like have that stuff on and try not to have me watch it. Like she was, she was good that way. But you know, as kids, we tend to walk into rooms and see things on TV that we shouldn't all the time. And I have a memory of a, of a horror, a part of a horror movie. And I, I won't describe it cause it's quite grotesque. Although I guess we're in the right place for it. Absolutely. Anything <laughs> and we're going to get into here. it later, but, um, and maybe, maybe I'll talk to you guys about it later and we can see if we can figure out which was, but I, I just had this like memory of that, of this really horrific scene on television and being horrified by it, but then also really intrigued by it. And I think that that's something that really stands out for a lot of horror fans is um, where a lot of people like to avoid the dark and like to avoid dark things and scary things. And that's totally okay. I think for horror fans, we kind of escape into it, right? We we're not afraid of the dark. We, well, we are, but we're, we're not so afraid to avoid it. And so I think that was it for me is that even from a young age, like, seeing lots of ghost story movies and lots of horror movies and lots of, um, you know, a lot of telling scary stories. Like even I'm thinking about too, I'm the generation of kids who grew up with, are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps? Right. And watching all those shows religiously and reading all the books, reading, you know, the, uh, all the, um, oh God, what were they called? The Christopher Pike books. Oh yeah. I know which ones you're talking about. Uh, my, my girlfriend has a whole shelf of them in our place, but I can't remember yeah. what it's called. Oh my gosh, that's going to bother me. Somebody can Google it real quick. But um, like, and reading all of that and doing all of that. Okay, Buzzy's on it. So, (laughs) so, and all that. And I think that's just kind of always stuck around with me. Like, I've just kind of been a really, I was a spooky kid. I was always into really spooky things. I, I was always in, I was, I was definitely a goth kid growing up. Like, I just always was into, into those kinds of things and was never really scared of it. So I think my introduction was, wasn't just like one particular thing that took me down a path. It was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different experiences and introductions of different kinds of spooky things. Was it Spooksville? No. What the heck was it called? Oh, I'm looking at at Spooksville and there's Remember Me. Oh my gosh, this is going to bother me. I think Uh, there's a name of the series. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, this one's lost on me. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. Guys, I'm like at the whole website. I could like bound to you. Uh, it's more of an Amelia Bedelia kind of guy, you know. <laughs> Slumber party and weekend. Um, yeah, no. Oh, the God, last I can't. vampire. Yeah, it was yeah. all the Christopher Pike books. Like he had yeah. many different like horrors. <laughs> Just calling them all out. <laughs> to be to be honest, Cassie, every time I've ever heard someone talk about the Christopher Pike series, Pike series is they always just say Christopher Pike books. So don't, don't feel too bad. Yeah. Don't feel too bad. (laughs) And there was another series too. That's going to bother me. Um, and somebody is listening to the podcast, just shouting it at us right now. But, but again, I think a lot of us kind of came up through reading a lot of that stuff. And and for me, looking back now, it's going like, why was anybody allowed to read that? Like they're really graphic, horrific stories, but God, I couldn't get enough of them. Absolutely. So what about like recent years? Like you you're still a huge fan of this stuff. Like what's the kind of stuff that has stood Mm -hmm. out to you in recent memory? I always kind of, um, 
I mean, I like lots of different movies from lots of different subgenres of horror, and I think that's one of the great things about horror is I. It's it's the same way I feel about when people say, "Oh, I like all music except country music," or "I like all music yeah. except rap music." It's to me that just means you're not giving those subgenres the benefit of the doubt because there's always a voice in there that will speak to you. And so I think for me, um, there's there's a movie in every subgenre that I really love, but the ones that I always come back to are either the really classic. Uh, you know, suspense movies full of dread. Um, so I'm thinking of like The Thing, uh, Jaws. I know, Mitch, we connected oh. <laughs> on Jaws. The only time we were really allowed to talk to each other on that radio show was about yeah. Jaws. They were like, you guys talk seconds. about Jaws. Yeah, yeah we, no, no, it's we funny. forced it. <laughs> yeah, we did. And it's, it's a good funny. Thing to force. In, yeah. in the studio here, side by side, I have posters of Jaws and The Thing. Those yeah. are, yeah, so they're, they're side funny. by side. Two of my they're favorites. Perfect. They're perfect. Yeah. And actually on Halloween night, because I've been watching, I was rewatching, I mean, I watch horror movies all year long and I go through ebbs and flows, but starting in September this year, I was rewatching some new horror movies and some of my old favorites. And I actually didn't get around to the thing this year, but I always tend to actually find I end up watching the thing in November and December when it's we're, like thinking really dark and cold and we're, scary. You gotta be depressed. We're doing it, yeah. we're doing it yeah. tomorrow night. We're doing it tomorrow night. And it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it so many times, but I'm it's with so you. I never I never really watch it in October. It's always November because that's when it gets really cold and dark and isolated. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't like when, when, like watching it when there isn't snow on the ground. I don't know. That's just yeah, no, it doesn't feel totally. right. It's I feel not the same right. way about yeah. I feel the same way about The Shining too. Right? You like, lose the yeah, immersion. Yeah, totally. The Shining is just yeah. like that. Yeah. And Perfect. so I always kind of go back and forth between some of those really classic ones and then some kind of newer ones. Like this Halloween season, I ended up rewatching the whole Insidious series um, and, and having like a new appreciation for that, for those movies in a lot of ways and chuckling at other parts of them. Right. And, and that kind of thing. And then um, kind of watching some new zombie movies. Uh, what was the newest movie I just watched? I have a whole list here. Um what was it called? The Night Eats the World. That was the most oh. recent new zombie movie I watched, which was a French film. Um, and I think it was on Amazon Prime. I hate to yeah. give Basil any shout no, out, but that's where I found it. I think you have, Boozy. I think you talked about it. And is that the I one have the apartment it. complex? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did see that. And so what? And so that's so I watched that one. Uh, I know Mitch, you talked re really about briefly about um, Blood Quantum when we were on the radio show together. Uh, and yeah. Me. I appreciated you having my back on that. It felt like, uh, <laughs> not not to throw shade at CBC, but it felt like he really didn't like me talking. <laughs> so okay, it, I'm what, glad I'm not the only one who felt that way. <laughs> oh, did you feel that way? Because I you, felt that way for myself. <laughs> you were you were kept on the whole hour. You were amazing. All right, like, you were, Kyle. You were we so know good. what to do. Fuck CBC. Yeah. You guys are done. <laughs> no. Yo, no, uh, no, 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 but you, you I were. Like, I love CBC. So I need to say those words in my mouth. So much love for CBC, but they asked this really heavy question with like 20 seconds to go at the end, and then they started playing like the Oscar cutoff music, and I started like, oh god, I have to wrap this up. Like I know answer. I mean. But but I did appreciate what you had to say about Blood Quantum. Yeah, there's that's only great. so many episodes of Murdoch Mysteries one can watch. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> eventually you're gonna have to you're gonna have I, to make a choice. No, let's see. I have see, never right. actually. I'd like to go on the record as saying I've never seen one a single episode of Murdoch's Mysteries. Yeah, you're I living a good life. I haven't heard it. I haven't seen it either. I don't it's know. Weird. I, I don't even want to get into Murdoch Mysteries right now. But <laughs> no, that's not. Blood but, Quantum but, but for been, the record. But awesome. no, I've been rewatching a lot of of that stuff. I've been rewatching um, 
what else did I watch? I watched uh, Alive, or I guess Hashtag Alive, which was a new Korean zombie movie um, that came out, I think, this year, just the past year. I, you mentioned Host on the radio show. I just rewatched re that. And so I've just been kind of like going through kind of a balance between some newer stuff I haven't seen, some classic ones that are like my go-to comfort horror, which is funny that I say comfort because like no matter how many times you see the thing, like you don't feel comforted. Like watching yeah. Jaws... <laughs> And the scene when Quinn is telling the story about, like, the SS Indianapolis, like, you're just so, you're not okay emotionally. Yeah. And to me, that's 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 the horror I love the most. The, the horror movies that make you question whether or not you want to keep living in this world, like, that's, that's my horror. That I, love. I love that. I love that. And I also love that you're able to, you know, turn it off and watch movies like Insidious. Like, you mentioned that you went through the whole series of Insidious. Those Those couldn't be further from movies that you can, like, really dig into they're just yeah. like kind of popcorn fun so yeah. it's I nice guess. to know that you're a real fan of the genre well th yeah i thank you i i think it's i honestly think anybody who can enjoy any kind of horror movie is a fan of the genre like i said there's so many subgenres. like i'm not a big slasher horror movie fan never really have been Obviously, I love Halloween. Everybody loves Halloween. Like, it is a classic. But there's not a lot of slasher movies that really do it for me, whereas there's other people that absolutely love the slasher movies more than anything else. A lot of folks don't love the monster movies. I love the monster movies. So I think it's just figuring out, like I said, what what speaks to you the most, what gets under your skin the most, right? And yeah. and that's kind of it. So for me, and I have to say, like, in defense of Insidious, like, the, the last, the second movie is not fantastic the third movie is interesting and had some really scary bits and the fourth movie is just kind of more i think a shout out to the fans for a character that was quite loved but in the first movie they did some things that kind of broke the rules like which is something i think we can probably get to later with hereditary about that unending sense of dread but in the first insidious movie you know you when you're watching a horror movie and the scary things happen at night when the characters go into the daytime you can rest you can be like, okay, there's a break. And Insidious broke that rule. There were really scary jump out moments that happened in daytime where you're like, you're not supposed to do that. This totally. Is, I'm not breathing. I'm taking I'll never forget the the first time I saw Insidious in the theater. I ended up going to see it three times because I loved it so much. And I know that it's widely regarded as like, you know, kind of fluff horror, but I, I'm with you. Like, I think it's a truly scary movie. I've I've just seen it so many times now that I've worn off its effect. But uh, it's it does break the rules and it goes like James Wan is a very interesting filmmaker. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, My only complaint ever about the Insidious movies, and obviously he'll I'm sure James is listening and is really yeah. okay. <laughs> My he's gonna <laughs> throw in a he's gonna throw out a Cassie Diss and Aquaman too. <laughs> That'd be but sick. I think That'd be awesome. What I love about the movie The Thing and what I don't like the part of Insidious and parts of Insidious series that I don't like is when they show the monster because the monster is never as scary as when you picture it in your mind. And I felt the same way. I really was quite creeped out by the first Conjuring movie until totally. they show all the like weird characters in the basement with their funny makeup. And I was like, well, this just feels like a, a play now, like a weird high school play. But to me, it's like when, but in, the, in the first Conjuring movie, when the youngest sister or one of the younger sisters is pointing above, you know, or to the part of the room that something's standing there and the other sister can't see it. That was horrifying to me. Cause again, oh, it's what, behind the door there. I, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah. You can imagine in your brain is always so much more terrifying than when you actually see the monster. And so I think that's what I, I liked about a lot of those movies is when you can do that really well. And that's what makes the thing so scary and, 
because you don't know right at the end and also so relevant to our times right now (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. i think that's why we're ready for like you know like we're kind of prepared for this is we've all watched the thing enough to (laughs) have a healthy distrust of people yeah yeah, well then you can uh you can tell which people are anti-maskers because they clearly haven't seen the thing (laughs) or or they're all in one instagram group that you can go troll (laughs) yeah we won't we don't need any boozy Oh, yeah, it's uh, and, and I think that that's it too. Is I had a lot of people ask me why I spent so much time, or even why I bothered to write about zombie films or things like research, and the idea of um, the idea of an actual apocalypse, of things shutting down, of a pandemic. I mean, I I live with mental illness myself. I live with depression. I live with anxiety. Like, I could make myself (laughs) scared all on my own with, like, real-world facts. And yet, for some reason, for me, and it's definitely true for a lot of people, when I watch a movie about the apocalypse, when I watch a movie about the world shutting down, about things you can't control and you can't stop what's coming, it's a safer way for me to explore what's scary to me, right? Because two hours and the movie's done. And then I can kind of take a break, right? It lets you, you know, explore. I remember at the height of the zombie kind of craze that was happening and everybody would be asking like, what's your zombie survival plan? And, and who would be in your zombie survival group, right? Especially during The Walking Dead. People loved having this conversation. I guess I should, The Walking Dead is still airing. I just kind of don't acknowledge it anymore. Neither <laughs> do I. Is it still on? No one does. <laughs> oh, I think man. it's still going. It's actually well, still on? There was yep. a tiger and things got out of yeah. control. But there's like but five that, spin-offs. <laughs> too many spin-offs, yeah. But that's but that's kind of it is that I think it lets those kinds of things let us explore what we're scared about. And I think that's true of every every horror movie of every, you know, subgenre. Like one of the reasons I can't watch you know, movies like The Strangers is because the idea of a home invasion is, I just that is it's it's too much for me. I can't do it. That's terrifying. Um but then for some reason I can watch a movie about the world collapsing and it's still terrifying to me, but in a way that I can kind of manage, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to explain in that way, but you know, we, we've been, I think this is episode 189 and you just described why I love horror so much a hundred times more eloquently than I ever have. And like, it's, it's exactly what I've been trying to say for so long. And uh, it's, it's great to hear you. Like I'm, I'm on the exact same level. Mm-hmm. exact same level for the, yeah. in terms of horror and what it does for me and mental illness and everything. And it's, it's a very big part of my life because of that. And that's, that's awesome to hear. Well, you know, and I recently, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I, I recently read uh, an article where it was talking about um, that a lot of times folks who live with uh, anxiety like to rewatch things over and over again uh, because you know it's coming. You can't be surprised. And I thought, oh, that would explain so much if that oh, was yeah. the case. I didn't have time to text my one of my very close friends is finishing up her clinical psych PhD, and I'll often send her those kinds of questions in the middle of the night, like, please confirm if this is true or not. Cause I am not a psychologist. I do not have that training. Um, but it, it would make sense, right? It's the same thing as that. There's, uh, there's something really comforting for us, right? Um, I was speaking with two friends of mine, uh, recently where I, I told them I was going to be on this podcast and told them, uh, when I was going to be on the radio show and they were both kind of more, they like to do escapism into funny things, into happy movies. And I said, that's great. Like, it's and I do that too sometimes, right? Like I, I probably watch Legally Blonde more times than I would like to admit, but I love that movie. It's a, it's a great it's a movie. It's a banger. It is a great movie. Awesome. And there's a lot it's of great, like, yeah. feminist discussions in that film. 
but you kind of, it, it comforts you. But yet at the same time, when I'm really scared, when I'm really in like the middle of an anxiety spiral for myself, and I can only speak for myself, but I, I do think it's, it's true for a lot of other folks, like you say, Mitch, there's something comforting about being able to go back to a horror classic and to kind of just have a two hour placeholder to kind of put those fears and, and to name those feelings. And I think that that's really powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a, uh, the one that I was like incredibly, this is just completely off the top of my head, completely like so powerful to me in the theater. And I still haven't revisited it yet is mother. Like oh, Darren Aronofsky's mother. Yeah. And that, that, cause that's, that's just one. a, that's I like, watched it once and I can't, I can't do it again. I, I watched that, it after getting oh. my teeth pulled. Whoa. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> what? In a daze. <laughs> and honestly, my partner was leaving the house and he, I was like, yeah, I need like a movie just to like zone out to. And he's like, oh, put on Mother. Sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that sounds great. I love the actress. Let's do it. And yeah. he came home later. He's like, well, I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> but oh, I couldn't yeah. stop thinking about that movie. So yeah. I didn't see it in theater. I saw it at home. But I really do like to watch horror movies and, and movies like that in the theater if I get the chance to. Yeah, That Mother. was a hard watch in the theater because it was like, I felt like I couldn't escape, like being with other yeah. people and like looking at the exit door a couple different times and just like <laughs> totally wanting thing- to throw up. Like yeah, yeah. The thing is, like when we went when we went into that movie, it was like nearly a sold out crowd, and I've never seen so many walkouts ever in a horror. Oh, movie. I love a good walkout. Yeah. Oh, I love walkouts and, too. And oh, there was yeah. two, so but, but the the one thing that got me stoked was two of them were pregnant. And they left before, oh. it, so they probably did the right thing. Oh yeah! <laughs> if they were, if it they were getting, if they were getting upset about what was happening already, like I don't know. Well, first of all, I don't know what you're doing going into a movie called Mother when you're, <laughs> if you're well, terrified of that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I guess. Yeah. I can so, remember. I love a good walkout. I can remember going to see Twenty Eight Weeks Later in the yeah. theater, and not my favorite movie, but the cold opening is fantastic oh. for that yeah. movie. And uh, it was my partner and I and not many other people in the theater and all and there's these folks that would not stop talking and there is there is nothing in this world that makes me want to actually move towards violence more Stores. than people who are disrespectful in the movie theater. Uh, like I traveled to Texas so that I could Preach. go to Alamo Draft House Theater where you get kicked out for talking like quite quickly. You be- and- you've been there? Oh, I've been several times. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I, I, that's one of my bucket list places. I love. Oh. I I always listen to people talk about it, and yeah, I can't wait to go someday. It is next level. Like it, it really is. I've seen them kick people out of there. It is fantastic. Like they, there is no like no wiggle room. Like you talk, yeah. you're on your phone. You get one warning, and then you're booted. Doesn't matter if your food hasn't showed up yet. Doesn't matter like where you're on the movie. Like you're gone. I love it. It's it's how it should be. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can remember. So these people were talking and talking and talking and, and they wouldn't stop. And then it hit that part of the opening of 28 weeks later where the girl like peels back the fabric from the cracks in the wood to look outside the house. And she looks left and then she looks right. And then she looks again and there's the zombie face and it just comes right through the wood at her. And then she's this horrible, violent carnage, right? That happens really bam, 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 really quickly. And then when they finally get to the character on the boat kind of riding away from last zombie movies, these two people just got up and walked out. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. crazy. I saw well, Spring so- Breakers three times in the theater, and each time I went, more and more people walked out. Really? I don't think they really I don't oh. think they knew what they were getting themselves into. That uh, I want to quickly that's just a strange movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, great though. So it's much. super good. But that's it, the it's the same thing it as is strange. I'm pretty, 
Spring Breakers and Pain and Gain came out around the same time. I don't know if people need me to. Oh, it was a Dwayne the, Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Mark Wahlberg. So and it's all about their their meathead muscle dummies who like are, are rough. they both cops? No, no, dude. No. It's it, it's it's exactly what you do not think that it is. Like, it, Boozy, you would love Pain and Gain because I'm all it is. Thinking of, I'm thinking that and it's a Michael Farrell one. Uh, <laughs> get hard or something. Yeah, like. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, but like yeah. the but everyone, it was. I had no interest in seeing Spring Breakers because I thought that it was like Pain and Gain or something like that. Where I was like, oh, it's just that's just not really my thing. But then when I heard people who like would love that type of movie like you know they you have people who are going more so for the american pie elements <laughs> and uh yeah. i was just like i loved hearing that someone really stupid that i knew walked out of spring breakers <laughs> so it made me watch it and i ended up loving it and same same with pain again i i was uh i've made fun of that movie to no end but when you watch it like they're just roasting those guys like it's just it's a comment it's making fun of them it's yeah yeah but have I, you ever walked out of a movie only oh, once yeah. Only okay, which movie? I walked out of Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> which is, that's punishable I, by death in my I, books. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I just could not. When, when it was Blart and Jelly, I was not, I wasn't, um, Boozy. I wasn't about that life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I, Blart. Oh, man, I, I should have walked out of Slender Man, but I don't know why I stayed. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you went to begin with. Yeah, I was going to say, why'd you go? <laughs> Someone had to do it. I but, guess, uh, yeah. I, I don't think I've actually walked out of anything. It, it's because, like, it's this whole thing. I have to get up, and then everyone's staring at you, so I feel really anxious. Yeah. I'd rather just bear with it. Yeah. Close your eyes. Oh. No, nope, nope. Je- I walked out of Jellicadu. Oh, right. That's true. I walked out several times of that movie. And, and Jellicadu is widely known as a very good film, but uh, Boozy and I didn't like it. We played it at the festival. We, we oh, helped okay. at the local film festival here. And it's a movie about a group of is is it Indonesian? I think it's, it's Indonesian. It's yeah, um, but I think it's Indonesia. <laughs> but it was pit, it was pitched to me. It's like it's like Jaws with a bull, and I'm like, Sounds okay, cool, right? Yeah, and <laughs> it's like it's not yeah. not like okay. that at all. But also, I, I need to point out that Boozy and I are in the minority for not liking that movie. Like people generally love that movie, but it's the it's the animal abuse that we have issues yeah, with. Yeah, like, I, I can't do animal violence. The no, only movie. The only movie yeah. I ever walked out of was uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. What? <laughs> but, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, I know. Kyle's going to be mad Kyle about that. No, wait. It might have it might have been that or Zathura. <laughs> it was one of the two. But oh it was... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, Cassie, you know... Like, <laughs> Zathura? <laughs> okay, so in Saskatoon, That's we had the up, rainbow... Man. Did you... Uh, not where you I thought familiar this with... conversation was going to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> it never Were does. you familiar with the rainbow cinemas? I am. Yes. Yeah, I used to so, go. I was just lamenting about how I used to go to the, the uh, midnight movie here. Oh, like yes. I, when I was like, remember when I didn't get tired, yep. till, like 10 o'clock at night, like I, we would stay up and we'd go to the midnight movie. I saw so many movies at the rainbow cinema. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where, but that's what was so great about rainbows. It was like $2 to get in. So I was like, yeah. I didn't really feel like I was losing my money. I was just like, I felt like, you, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm going to go roam around the mall for a bit. <laughs> and, and that's, that's fair. Yeah. But don't you know? I I was trying to think. Like I walked out, I walked out of, and this is embarrassing now that I'm on a horror podcast. But I walked <laughs> out of um, the haunting of Hill House. 
Like the one like with Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, the haunting. The haunting. Oh, the oh. haunting. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Because the opening scene was just like really intense for me and I couldn't do it. And my two friends uh, walked out with me. One of them was my best friend who was the person who actually made me watch my first zombie movie um, and kind of got me on this path. But she uh, she was like, okay, you're not okay. We don't have to watch that movie. And I was like, it was just too scary. It was too much for me. And then I think I probably ended up watching it six months later. And I was like, that was a waste of a movie ticket back guys. Like, this is not scary at all. But it was things I hadn't seen before. And yet right. I sat through the whole Blair Witch Project when I can't, because I'm that old. Right? I watched Blair Witch in theaters and it was intense. But, but the only the only movie with like, in terms of animal abuse that I ended up, horror movie that I ended up turning off was The Suicide Club, which I, I do not recommend. Um, a friend of mine, Conrad, uh, introduced me to a lot of introduced me to a lot of European black metal, and he introduced me to a lot of like he introduced me to the Criterion Collection, and he also introduced me to a lot of awful horror movies. And I remember there's a whole group of us at his house watching The Suicide Club, and it's it's pretty much exactly what it's, the title would suggest. Um, I believe it's a Japanese horror movie, and it was just this idea of this kind of plague of suicidal acts. Well, and okay. it was connected to a song, if I'm remembering correctly. And there got to a point where there was an animal abuse scene. And you get to everybody in the room was so quiet. And then finally, was one of our friends was like, hey, um, anybody else not chill right now? <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, turn it off. Yeah. And Connor was like, oh, well, like, this, the movie gets really good. We're like, you guys no, like this part? <laughs> yeah. Every, this part everyone like, okay? This part is horrible, but like, stick with it. And we couldn't right, do right. it. Can we get a morale check in the room? What's everyone's (laughs) morale at right now? (laughs) Yeah, read the room. Uh, And uh, and bless him. Uh, But he, uh, yeah, he was like, all right, fair enough. And then I think we put on Zoolander, and that's how we we got through it. And now I kind of have a tradition. If I've ever watched a movie that's really unsettling, I end up kind of going to Zoolander as the... That's a good palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another great comedy. That is a great movie. Um, I just want to say for any owners or people who maybe want to pick up a DVD copy of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, there's yep. some great director mm-hmm. commentary by Robert Rodriguez, yep. where he goes on to state, and I quote, uh, "Hello, I am Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> I just want to let you know this was the best movie I've ever worked on, Shark Boy and Lava Girl." Um, <laughs> Is it true? I thought I'd read somewhere that it was based on a dream his kid had had. Yeah, That's it correct. is. His, his, his son also co-wrote it, technically. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that you had Pretty to put cool. it What a good Hello, dad. I what a good dad. Robert Rodriguez. Imagine <laughs> your dad is Robert Rodriguez and he makes a movie about, like, that's pretty, anyways. That is, what, yeah. It's wait, that's punishable by death that you walked out of Shark Boy Lava Girl. That's all I have to say, Mitch. Okay. This is well, a, this I is, think it was a little Criterion too old. Criterion is calling. This will be on Criterion was, next month. No, that is not. <laughs> Okay, um, before we keep going on, uh, one thing I want to touch on, Cassie, before we move on, is that you did do your thesis, correct, on zombie films. I did. Which, yeah, which we already we already briefly talked about. Um, but for people who are listening, who are just like, you know, our younger listeners who have an interest in film and this kind of stuff like that, that you don't hear that all the time, that someone was able to do their thesis on this. So can you give us some insight on how you went about taking this path? Or- uh <laughs> No, it's fine. Uh, I'm just like, oh, younger listeners, like wanting to go into academia and write things that nobody will read. Uh, but that's the thing is, like, I, I, I can guarantee all three of us would read it. That's something really cool. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I love, I love to hearing that. So I want to hear if more. Kyle about knew that how process. to read. He'd be off on it. <laughs> I'm gonna do the audiobook anytime now. Um, well, oh, it's, it's funny, and I. 
I kind of mentioned this uh, to um, to the friend who put me on the radio show, which was that I, when I was in undergrad, I was taking a horror fiction class, and one of the options, instead of writing three papers, you could write two papers and do an in-class presentation, and I'm one of those people where I can, my anxiety doesn't get too out of control doing public speaking. I can do public speaking okay, like I'm anxious the whole time, but I can manage it, so I thought, this would be a pretty easy way to get out of doing some work. So I, I decided to take uh, one of the in-class presentation options and I ended up doing it on kind of the history of zombie films as a subgenre of horror and learned so much about the subgenre that I'd had no idea about. And I just fell in love. Like I fell in love with the zombie films. I fell in love with the genre. I fell in love with the history. Um, I was already a fan of kind of monster movies and things like that. And yeah. And so I, when I went on to do my master's in sociology, I actually started with a totally different topic and um, the topic was fine, but it was, it, it sounds cheesy to say, but literally the zombies were still, and then haha, no pun intended, but they were in my brain. Like it was, I just couldn't get over that idea and I couldn't stop thinking about them. And I ended up sp speaking to one of my, um, one of the professors in my department and she kind of pushed me towards it and kind of urged me to, you know, like not a lot of people are writing about this. Like this might be something really cool for you to do. Um, so I'll give a shout out to Dr. Joanne Jaffe who pushed me into doing that. And I ended up doing it and uh, yeah, so I ended up analyzing a few different films and uh, kind of breaking them apart and looking at the imagery in them, looking at the narratives, looking at the discussions and, and the representations within the movies and kind of looking at how they lined up with social fears. And I kind of did it all within, I, I looked at movies from uh, kind of within 2000 to 2010. So really, especially at that turn of the new millennium, we had all of these kind of um, millennial fears and apocalyptic fears around, you know, especially for those listeners who don't know why 2K was a really big deal, right? At the year 2000. Yeah. Yeah, that was terrifying. It was. Like, we were genuinely, like, we didn't understand, we didn't really understand, I think, at that point. It wasn't, like, technology is so connected to everything that we do now. We really understand how computers and technology works that at the time, it was in 2000, it was really different. This was 20 years ago, right? Like, right. the internet was still dial-up. We were still kind of figuring these things out. So we didn't really understand what would happen at the year 2000 and how our computer systems would catch up and, you know, but it's not the first time in history we've had these kind of changing, these big changes in our societies where we've had these apocalyptic fears and we've had this apocalyptic dread, right? And so that kind of added to it for me where I was really interested in those kind of big cultural fears, those big shifts and how it was this connection between individual fears but these cultural anxieties. Right. And so that kind of combined with this huge burst on the scene of, the, of, of zombie movies and the zombie craze. And it all kind of worked out perfectly. And it was a really good opportunity, especially as a sociologist to really look at um, social patterns. And that's what we do as sociologists. We look at the way that, you know, social patterns and groups and, and societies kind of move and, and shape and change. And, and we're really good at, you know, answering those kind of bigger questions about why, why groups of people do what they do. Right. And, um, and why we think the way that we do, why we're scared of what we're scared of. So it kind of all fit together perfectly. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a hard, it was hard work, but it was a really great project. I really love it. Wow. I'm, I'm really proud of it. I, it really had a good time and I wish I would have chosen more horror movies for my PhD. <laughs> I was going to say, do you <laughs> have a list of the ones different. that you studied for that? Pardon? Do you have a list of what you studied? Like what films were specifically yeah. in there? 
Yeah, so I looked at 28 Days Later. Um, and then I also looked at land of the dead, which I know a lot of people don't like that movie, but I also tried to pick, I picked three movies kind of throughout that 10 year period. So, um, two, 28 days later came out in 2001, I believe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Same year as Blink-22 self-titled. Are you sure? That's 2003. It's 2003. Yeah. I'm pretty sure 28 days later was 20, 2003 then. At least that's when I saw it. I'll, I'll look it up here. Okay, we'll, we'll Google it real quick. Listen, I don't remember the dates. Um, and then Land of the Dead came out, I believe it was 2002. 2002, there you go. Okay. <laughs> right here, right here. <laughs> and then Land of the this. Dead came out in 2005. And again, not a lot of people loved that movie. But, you know, for me, there were so many interesting things happening in that film, especially around uh, race, around the idea of labor relations. So there's a lot of really, really interesting things to discuss. Are you talking and about then, Land of the Dead? Yeah, Land of the Dead. Yeah. That's a movie I grew up hating. I thought it was so bad. And then I rewatched it a couple of years ago and I love it now. Because there, I think it's when you're a little bit older and you can understand some of those processes and some of those inter- like intersections, like I said, of race, of labor, of class. I mean, Romero has never been one for subtlety. Like he really kind of hits you over the head with a lot of those themes. But there was there's so much that I thought was worth discussing, and especially kind of, like I said, mid-decade, uh, still kind of coming out of, you know, the George Bush era and all these kinds of things were going on. And then um, I looked at Zombieland, so the first Zombieland, uh, which I believe is 2008. That is correct. I know that because that was the year I graduated. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And so I looked at Zombieland and that one was kind of a, kind of the end of the decade. Where do we go from here? The breakdown of the traditional family, the breakdown of traditional society, and what are we going to build in its place? So I kind of tried to do, you know, going from just a total breakdown, total terror. I mean, 28 Days Later had done things that we had never seen before in zombie movies, right? And that movie still scares the pants off me, like, every time I watch it. Um, And I've seen it hundreds, hundreds of times. But, you know, for me, so it kind of starts off like that and then moves into... um, like I said, the end of the decade and where have we come over the last 10 years? What have we recovered from? What were we scared of? What are we scared of now? And what are we going to have to do to kind of keep surviving as a society? So there was the kind of that arc in my, in my work over those three movies. Right. I think using like the gap of time that you're talking about, the 10 year like stretch is really interesting because often, you know, media and our society will be a reflection of each other in one way or another, right? It's yes Absolutely. and no in some cases. So being able to like deconstruct that, I think, is really interesting. And like picking three movies just to like represent that. I mean, it could, I guess, in a way, it could be you could have chosen any other film potentially. Mm-hmm. But I think the way you're kind of outlining it, it makes it apparent to like look at those like I don't know norms, economic strife, whatever, whatever was going on during even those years. Those movies came out. Like that's a really good way to. To approach it so that's interesting i'd love i'd love to love to check that out that sounds great yeah. oh well we can we can def- i can hook you up i've got copies <laughs> yeah, send yeah them over, I, are we? I often say that um and often to my students that when i'm teaching i say like any if you want to know where a society is at any given point in time look at what they're consuming for their entertainment Right. And so you could really see that there was a huge spike in in anxiety, in fear of the unknown, in apocalyptic dread at the turn of kind of the new millennium. Right. And that really came about in the horror that a lot of people consumed. I mean, what was happening right beforehand? Well, we had, you know, the kind of the late 90s slasher movies like you had your you had your screen movies and you had your um, urban Urban legend. legend. 
yeah, and I know what you did last summer, and, you know, Final Destination, which were kind of these really hip and slick, you know, teen horror movies, and some people absolutely love, and I will still stand by that the cold opening of the first Scream movie is one of the best cold openings of of all time. That movie was incredible, and what it did and how it kind of updated horror but you definitely felt a really visceral shift moving into kind of the very late 90s into the early 2000s, right? Kind of coming with the Resident Evil franchise and moving right. into, there's a lot of um, Korean and Asian horror movies that were kind of coming out at that time too. And all of that kind of shifted. So you're right when you grab a, a kind of particular chunk of time and look at it and really reflect on how things are changing, what's going on. It can tell you so much about a culture, about a community, about a society. Yeah, totally. that's awesome. I love that you look at it from a from an academic approach and everything. But like, you can just tell just from talking to you that this has always been a big part of your life. Yeah, and I, 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 lo- I love that. I lo- the knowledge like you can't you can't bullshit that kind of stuff. So I love that. And um, moving forward into like hereditary. So we're we're eventually we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna move into hereditary. But what is it about like you're you're really interested in like the mental illness and the effects that it can have on horror movies? Let's let's um, lead in with that. Well, I, yeah, my my PhD research is looking at representations of mental illness in the media, and I'm specifically looking at news media and public narratives. So I'm looking at nonfiction, uh, but so much of what's kind of inspired this process has been fictional representations of mental illness and mental illness and really that madness uh, trope is such an overused trope in horror, right? It's, it's the stand in for evil. It's the stand in for violence. It's the stand in for, you know, your biggest set of fears. And so I think hereditary did that trope, but in a way that I thought was really interesting, it flipped some things on its head. So it's, um, it's not something that I'm necessarily looking at in my PhD research right now, but it's definitely like kind of being aware of fictional portrayals uh, in television and movies of mental illness has really informed a lot of my passion on the topic and um, and kind of looking at how we come to know what we know about about mental illness and, and lived experiences through that. Yeah, that's awesome. I would love to I'd love to like see you venture down that path and read that thesis as well. I know that's asking a lot, uh, but no, Let like, me finish writing it first. <laughs> exactly. But there, there's, believe tons in you. Of, there's tons of uh, like, that's one of the things that's so great about the genre. Like we were saying before is that it's so widespread and there's so many different topics so that it can cover within one genre. Um, but one movie that pops up into my head uh, before we get into hereditary is misery. Like that's, oh, yeah, then that's that's a great example of mental illness in a horror movie as well, and that's what I think that might have been the first one that I actively knew what was going on. I knew she was kind of like unhinged or she had some issues, yeah. Uh, yeah. and Kathy Bates's performance was just unbelievable. But then there's like Jacob's Ladder, like there's so many different places you can go with this. Absolutely. Well, and Kathy Bates, I believe, was one of the first people to win an Oscar for a horror movie performance, yep. uh, right? Um, I, I don't know if that was before or after. Anthony Hopkins for Silence of the Lambs. I think I think it was just or wait no it was Misery came out nine, 1990 so she would have been before been Anthony before, Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. and I think Anthony she doesn't Hopkins. get as much like well I mean no. I should, she should gets enough hype I mean it's Kathy Bates everybody loves yeah. Kathy Bates but, <laughs> but at the but time I, though at the time I don't think she got yeah. enough like she got her due for just how powerful that performance was but 
very much in the same vein as Anthony Hopkins for Silence of the Lambs, another one that I've rewatched this year, which still gives me creeps every time. Um, It's so well acted. But, um, and as you said, like Jacob's Ladder, a little bit different, but the whole idea is kind of the common thread through all of that is that mental illness is the enemy, right? Like Kathy Bates enacts violence um, and pain, right? Because as she's quote unquote, as you said, unhinged, right? Same thing with, you know, uh, with Silence of the Lambs. I mean, there's some really problematic tropes, obviously in Silence of the Lambs, especially around like gender identity and, and causing harm and violence. Um, and then also as well, like you get into Jacob's Ladder where the fear is of one losing one's mind, right? And kind of not taking those experiences seriously. Like whatever the case, horror has really been a, a, a playing field for people to really explore their fears around mental illness, but to do it in a way that can be really problematic and really suggest some really terrifying tropes and again we so often see this this idea that uh people who are mentally ill are going to enact violence when in reality folks who are living with mental illness are far more likely like exponentially more likely to be the victims of mental illness or excuse me of violence uh than to be the people who enact that violence but that's not what we see and i think that that's kind of what i mean is that when i'm looking at non-fictional representations in my phd um research that i'm doing I kind of always have these horror movies in the back of my head of thinking like, what do I see? You know, one, one of the things I mentioned in when we were chatting before we started recording was that um, one of the things I'm doing is not only am I looking at kind of news stories, but I'm also looking at public comments on Facebook. And some of the things that people are saying, they're using words like monster. They're using words like boogeyman. They're using words like it. And these are all, again, these kinds of things that are, almost suggesting that a lot of what we come to know about mental illness comes from like, you know, like casual upbringing through horror movies and television. Right. So we kind of have an idea that people who are mentally ill are dangerous and are violent. No, it's, there's so many different ways that you can dissect this whole, the, the whole genre and how it treats illness and in the wide, wide scope of things. But I think that we should just get into hereditary and we should just get into that conversation because we're, <laughs> we're gonna, dancing around the subject. Yeah, right now. we're dancing around it. So I think it's time to get into it. So we'll be right okay. back after this brief, brief uh, intermission. And then we'll be talking all things hereditary and mental illness and its effect in horror movies. Stick around. Come on, Peter. It's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you're a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God! She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. She wasn't altogether there. At the end. 
like this. What's happening? Tina! Don't you ever raise your voice in me! I am your mother! Raise your hand! Mom, what's happening? Make it stop! Make it stop! I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. And welcome to our main feature presentation in which we are going to be discussing Hereditary from 2018, which was written and directed by Ari Aster, starring Tony Collette, Alex Wolf, Gabriel Byrne, and Millie Shapiro. Uh, so like I said before, we, we reviewed this film about two years ago when it came out, and uh, we had Jeff and Johnny on the podcast, and I think that's really interesting now, looking back on this one, especially after two years, because... Everyone was speculating around that time whether this was really going to be considered a horror classic or if it was going to be in the long run one of the greats. And while we can't fully comment on that right now, a mere two years later, I think we can safely say what kind of effect this movie has had on our podcast alone and just the conversation mm-hmm. in horror in general. The one of the reasons why we wanted to redo not, you know, pseudo redo this episode. Uh, is because we're going to put Hereditary to bed after this. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. And this we're gonna is a memorial as well, yeah. <laughs> but just for a bit, because this this is one that comes up, like whether people want to say at this point or not, if this really is one of the greats, if this is one of the best horror movies of our generation, we can say, I, I can speak for the three of us here, that in doing this podcast over the last two years, this is one of the most mentioned movies. And I think that that speaks volumes as to its effect on society. And us as horror fans in general. And we also now can look at it from knowing that Ari Aster has put out a second film. And we know he's not a fluke. I don't, I, I don't, I think I know how Kyle and Boozy feel about Midsommar. I came around to it. I didn't love it at first, but now I really love that movie. And uh, I think Ari Aster is one of the most important voices in the genre right now. And uh, so I think it's important to celebrate this and talk about it. And who better to do that with than Cassie, who is. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that you look at every movie an educational perspective. Like I'm trying to find the proper an words. Analytical to say. approach. Yeah, there we go. Overanalyzing and, is the word you're looking for. <laughs> but the, yeah, over there we go. And you also no, that's not. But you also like this is a movie that you can do that with, and this is totally. one that's like it's ripe with like you can dissect almost every layer of this movie, and this movie has layers. It's like an ogre. I'll, I'll say that right now for sure. Sh- Onion. <laughs> anyway. You don't start with ogre. Either way, Cassie, before we get fully into this, what was it about this movie in particular that stood out to you? Well, uh, God, <laughs> where do you even start? I ended up seeing this movie in theaters. So a lot of people I know watched it after the theater and really had to take breaks while watching it just because it's, 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 unrelenting like it does not stop and um and very much like kind of the classic horror movies we were talking about earlier and so for me i saw it in theater and i went with my friend angie who does like horror movies but she will never (laughs) let me pick a horror movie again (laughs) after i took her to this one in theater and it just it it blew my mind wide open it was everything i love about good horror it was full of dread it i it didn't let me breathe. Um, I the acting was phenomenal. The storytelling, all the themes, all the imagery, everything that was involved in it, just 
it just absolutely kicked my ass. And and there was maybe only about 12 of us in the theater watching this movie. And like we were a family after that <laughs> because <laughs> you could hear, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop most of the movie and you could hear every gasp. You could hear every, oh my God, right from the back of the theater. Like I remember, obviously we can talk about lots of spoilers on here, right? <laughs> we're doing full spoilers now. This when Normally we do a spoiler warning. But okay. this is the second time we're doing an episode on this. If you haven't seen Hereditary, what are you doing at this point? Honestly, yeah. like even, even even if so, you're gonna you gotta you got even if you think you're not gonna like it, you have to watch it so you know you're not gonna like it. That's absolutely. this is one of those movies that that I feel like I can say that with. I think the kids call it a cultural reset, and I think uh, Hereditary fits in that. So, oh, I'm so glad you have your your ear to the ground with the kids here, Kyle. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter that. now, so you can put you I can put your that. Webster's you like dictionary down now, Kyle. <laughs> okay, I'll put it down right here and. <laughs> Well, and, and that's it is like, it's, it was just wild, like, and everything about it. And so that scene when near the end of the movie, so, cause really like the last 35 minutes of that movie, 30, 35 minutes on um, it's it, horrific and terrifying and you can't breathe and you can't catch up and it's, it's incredible. And I remember that scene where, um, where Peter is sleeping in bed and the camera starts panning out and you see Tony Collette's character, Annie mm-hmm. on, on the wall. And you could hear every person in the theater gasp as they saw her. And there was this couple in the back of the theater. I'm assuming they're a couple. That's very heteronormative of me. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but there was two people in the back of the theater and it was a guy and a girl. And I could hear, cause I could hear him comforting her through a lot of the movie. Cause she was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Throughout the whole <laughs> movie. And very vocally and very loudly when they panned out and she finally saw Tony Collette on the wall, you heard this girl at the back of the theater just, oh my gosh she's on the <laughs> she just she just had had enough and i started giggling and other people in the theater started giggling but it wasn't in a way that was making fun of this person it was in a way that was like yeah no we're with too, you right like yeah. we're we're with you we're all in this together and it was really very powerful um scene in the theater because yeah it was just very it was it was non-stop and i think that that's that was kind of what made me so obsessed with that movie. I mean, I didn't sleep that night after seeing it, but um, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I haven't stopped thinking about it. Um, I've read so much about this movie. I've read lots of really interesting takes on it. I read a couple academic pieces on it. Like I've just, there's so many different takes on, on, on the layers of this movie. As you said, there's so much to it. Um, And so I think that's why it's definitely one of my favorites in the last few years. And I would say, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying it'll be probably one of my favorites for a very long time because there is just so much in it. And, and to me, when I can, when I don't stop thinking about it, yeah. you know, for a long time, or I see new things, like when I went rewatch, I rewatched it last night, um, knowing I was going to be on this, this podcast tonight. And I mean, there was a bunch of things I missed, right. That you got to see the second time around, or you see the third time around, like kind of going back and, and revisiting totally. it. So that's what I love about this movie. And I think that's what Ari Aster does such a good job of is there's so much hidden. There's so many Easter eggs in his movies. And you could say the same thing with Midsummer, um, that he just really pays such an attention to detail. Yeah. And he totally, he just, he seems to, he seems to be the one out of all the like, you know, current, greats of the genre in terms of you know mike flanagan james wan lee winnell uh and ari aster Robert Eggers. 
Brian Bertino, Robert Eggers, like they, they all have a really good grasp on the genre, but I feel like Ari Aster, where he plants his stance is that he understands humans better than any, anyone out of all those people. And, yeah. uh, like you can see that in both this and Midsummer, and the, the relationship that people, the relationships that people have with each other and how those alone can be horrifying in senses. Uh, especially because like this movie, it deals with trauma in almost every single member of the family. And once they become aware of that and what, like what they're truly up against, it becomes cataclysmic. And I just, I love that about hereditary, but I I just watched it again last night too. This would have been, I think this has to be, this would have been my fifth or sixth time seeing it, but by God, this movie's so good. (laughs) It it is just perfect. It is just so fucking perfect. I've been saying for a couple months now because I came around to Midsommar and I really love that movie as well. The Hereditary is the fucking edge above Midsommar. <laughs> just it's they're both so good, but Hereditary is something special. Like, but it was also that movie that we were faced with. You know, this happens all the time where we're it's the scariest movie since The Exorcist. That's oh, going. I hate, to, that. I hate it yeah. so much, yeah. and it's because it, everybody's going to have a different experience with it. Just like everybody had a different experience with The Exorcist. Like I know so many people who don't find The Exorcist scary, and I think they're insane. And I'm like, well, what does scare you? Because clearly, it's nothing close to what scares me. Uh, right. But hered- Hereditary, like you mentioned, the the audience. Like when I saw this movie in the theater, and the the scene where nobody can call. No, I don't care who you are. You cannot say that you saw that happening with Millie Shapiro in her head. No, Nobody that, saw that coming. I, I don't know who. Yeah, someone said that. They, it's, it's like, where? Where did you shut see that coming? Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. No, no way. There's the no way you saw that. Like, insert shot of the poll before. There's no way you could think, oh, yeah, that poll. Yeah, that'll come into good use later. You didn't and, have enough time. Exactly. If, he'd, yeah. if they'd shown the poll even another additional 30 seconds ahead of that, you might sure. have started to put two and two together. But that's the beautiful thing with Ari Aster is he just, he doesn't give you time. Like, it just, it happens in that moment and it happens so powerfully and again we were talking earlier about when filmmakers break the rules that we've all kind of we have these like you know very you know polite rules that we agree to when we watch a horror movie we're going to get a break uh bad things aren't going to happen during the daytime like we're gonna you know there's going to be certain things that we can agree to and i think the really fantastic horror movies are the ones that kind of throw those rules out the window (laughs) no pun intended and right and in that moment he just looks like we were attached to the small child of a character and it's like yeah nobody is safe nobody is safe in this movie and that's what just leaves you so uneasy absolutely and that's like sorry go ahead mitch I was just getting the last thing I was going to say is I heard like when Millie Shapiro's head popped off, that was, that was my scene in the theater where it was like, <gasps> everybody yeah. in the theater shuddered together. But it was like, it, like there's very few times where I've gone to see horror movies that I, you know, obviously I love the theatrical experience, but like that was one of the great moments where I felt like everyone in the theater was in it together. Oh, absolutely. And that's it, one of the best it reminded feelings. Me. It reminded me, my dad, my dad is not a big horror movie or sci-fi person, but he got dragged to go see Jaws in theater. And he, he told me the story about leaning forward in his seat, kind of just like bouncing on his knees a little bit, just bored. I don't know how you're bored in Jaws, but my father and I, we have many things in common. Taste in movies is not one of them. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we have very different tastes. Some things we come together on, but not horror movies. And he told me that, that, you know, it's when Jaws pops out of the water that he threw his popcorn, that he threw himself back (laughs) in his seat. And that was his moment for him. And the whole theater 
laughed at him and he's like yeah and rightfully so like <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm saying and I and right after that scene happened and the same thing in, in the theater I was into everybody gasped everybody freaked out and I thought of my dad instantly like oh yeah that was that moment hey, Kyle what were, what were you saying before I cut you off well I was just gonna say like it it's the way that he's kind of like messing with these expectations that we have of like horror films or tropes or even tropes within like specific genres, like he's messing with them and like really, I don't want to say subtle because like you're saying, he's flipping the script entirely. Like he's throwing it out, but he does it in a way that while you're watching it, it you don't notice it. Like it's not really upfront. Like this isn't like your typical zombie movie. This isn't like your typical psychological horror. This, this is still within its own like lane, but it's creating an entirely different experience by just like literally reversing what you're th- expecting especially like the stuff happening in like daytime or stuff happening like with characters that maybe feel like a little less important like early on and they become more important as the film goes on mm-hmm. like that's the kind of shit like watching this again yesterday like i picked up so much more stuff than i did the first time like yeah. way way more in fact but i, I think- enjoyed the film more watching it again absolutely yeah. right I was just going to say, I think it's very interesting is that it's one of the movies that I noticed do this a lot better than a lot of other movies is you kind of switch between main characters, but you never feel like you don't know whose story you're supposed to. Like, they're all going towards that same direction. And I think that right. does well later on because it starts intertwining those stories even with, uh, you know, certain characters like chasing each other and stuff where it starts to intertwine that more and more as you go on and as more characters get eliminated. Well, and you start to wonder, I love that, because you start to wonder whose narrative you're in, in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Because so much of that, especially with the whole, um, you know, the framing, the characters within the dollhouse shots and this kind of suggestion that, you know, you can't stop what's coming. They're not in control of their fate. And so you start wondering, are you in... Are you in Peter's, you know, psyche? Are you in Annie's psyche? Or is it, are you, you know, but the viewer is not uh, omnipresent, right? Like, we we find out the things that are happening as the characters do. And that's what yeah. makes it also a lot terrifying, be, really terrifying, because we can't we can't get our a grip on reality, I think, watching it. Well, right. it kind of feels like, like grief itself is like a character within the Absolutely. film. You know, like, it has its own, like, characteristics in the way, like, I don't want to say infects, but, like, the way it aff- affects each character in a different way comes across in such an interesting method like i don't know this is my second time watching it full disclosure i've only seen it one time before and the first time i saw it i really enjoyed it but i did feel like the very like uh uh, what's the word like not spiritual but the more like less family related stuff that happens near the end of the film it felt really sudden to me and i was like whoa whoa what's going on like where are we like uh and i still enjoyed it but you know i think that was the only thing that i remember thinking like okay like gosh that like 75 percent of the film just felt so like meticulous but then here did i miss something like what's going on watching it again it was a completely different experience like without a doubt like having like insight into like i guess what you were saying boozy like kind of the goal not necessarily like the conclusion but sort of what yeah. each character was trying to get out of their situation in their family um I guess history and moving forward, like just kind of knowing that it made all like those puzzle pieces totally fit, like in a very unique way. And like you were saying, Cassie, like uh, Ari Aster just like is so specific about him constructing the the narrative, the costumes, the look. Like he he is like your atypical like mm-hmm. 
film stu- film school nerd sort of like stereotype of people like ha- everything has to be correct and that kind of like gets memed a lot and things like that but it also can be done and like this is an example of someone who's taken the time to literally like hit every beat yeah it's, it's right he, he's winning and that's that's why i feel like no matter what like we we all went into hereditary with a or, or sorry midsummer with a little bit of a chip in our shoulder just knowing that it's like hey what else do you got like you right. showed us this yeah. and what yeah. are you a one hit wonder can you do this again and i think that the same thing's going to happen with people revisiting midsummer in in future years i i do think that there, that's another movie that you can definitely dissect by layer by layer and there's a lot of great stuff to do that with but boozy, this we recently did our top fifteens of the last of the last ten years. Our top fifteen hor- favorite horror movies of the last ten years, and you yeah. named Hereditary as your number one. Why sure is did. that? I, I think it's just um, it's actually something we we had talked a little bit about before. Is an impact directly after watching it. I've never felt such a crater of uh, wanting more answers and wanting to watch again, but trying to decide where I felt. And it's it. The, the feeling I felt towards that movie is something I haven't felt in a long time, and it's hard to replicate that feeling. Do, do you know what I like? It, it, it's, and I, I think a reason that I like it as well is, which is something we also talked about, is the thing. is I feel like this movie does a good job of having that thing element where you actually are trying to figure out uh, who's possessed, maybe, or because it, it kind of was sold to you like a, a haunted house movie at the start, yeah. especially with seeing the mother in the corner and stuff. So Dude, you're kind of waiting for I, I remember sending you the trailer for Hereditary, and you had no interest in it because you were just like, fuck another possession movie. Or like, because at the time you, were, you weren't into those, and you were just oh, like, what, what it, movie did we argue about because of something like that? It was a before it was I like, wake. No, yeah, it was that. Yeah, it was before it was I before wake. Before I wake. Yeah. 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 And but, but yeah, you you were not down for hereditary at all. No. And then you went like, to it and then I will never forget the messages I got afterwards. <laughs> yeah. You're you're right. Um but it's it's just it's so cool to see a possession movie that's actually terrifying without having to typical possession things to accomplish it and I like even one of the scary scenes is where they do their little home seance, and then um, mm. Barbara Crans, or not Barbara Crans, um, <laughs> what the fuck's her name again? Tony Collette. I don't know why I have Barbara Crampton in my mind. Um, <laughs> but Tony Collette starts speaking like a child, and it's like, nothing's oh, inherently scary about that if you if you think about it. It's actually kind of comical. but It's, it's Alex it is- Wolf's response to it. Exactly. Yeah, but it's it's yeah. The, that everything about that that like it makes it such it's such an insane scene, and you have to be really good at how you create something and make layers with it to have that kind of outcome. It sounds silly, is so terrifying. And right. how you're right, the last minute by design is also supposed to be sped up that much because you've been acclimated to kind of a a lunar cycle of this film. Having all that happen so fast is such a cool way to like basically destroy your audience because that's your official like this is where shit has popped off there is no stopping everything that's happening nobody was okay after watching that movie nobody was okay except like whose theater was quiet after i like i feel like even ours was very quiet i I know and, and that's the thing is that i know a lot of people who really don't like this movie and mm-hmm. I, I just uh, like that's obviously you can everyone's entitled to their own opinion, 
but I just don't understand how you could write this movie off as like this, how this movie is being roped in with like another movie that I adore is the witch. I love the witch, which is, and I know that that is not a movie for everybody, but it's because of the a 24 model. The a 24 backlash has come like, well, yeah. And it even, it started, Oh man, I'm a part of an a 24 Facebook group. Like where people just talk about a 24 movies. I'm telling you, if you ever want to see people who truly hate movies, go to that Facebook page because they they're <laughs> shitting on everything. Like it is it, the, everybody who just smells their own farts. Like, oh, I no. just, I know I have to say, I kind of hate that. I think it's like, you know, this whole thing about just deciding to shit all over a genre or a type of movie, like let people enjoy things. And I agree. Every, I, I don't like the saying everybody's entitled to their opinion because <laughs> yeah, I guess there's I a lot of bad opinions. Just, I did to say you're just entitled, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I like when people put some thought into what they watch and, and, and uh-huh. why they like something, why they don't like something. Um, you know, it's definitely okay to watch a movie. Like, you know what? That wasn't for me. The first time I saw the witch, I was like, I don't think that was for me, but also I was in a weird movie theater uh, with a friend, the same friend who I went to Hereditary with, <laughs> actually. Oh boy! And there was a whole group of teenagers behind us, just being. It would entirely destroy it. So it really ruined the atmosphere. And then watching it again in my dark living room was like, oh my god, this is incredible! And it's also the hype, I, though. I'm sure you heard absolutely. Stephen King saying it was the scariest movie ever made, sure, The Witch. But uh, again, what is scary? What's scary yeah. is going to depend on yeah. who you are and and what buttons you need to get pushed to, to be scared like that. And this whole idea of this a, a 24 backlash is just like, okay, you don't like movies. You just, you just want to sound a certain way, I guess. I don't yeah. really know. I, I some, really hate the, people do that. Cause it's like a two four is, is pointing out some of the most incredible that have come out yeah. in the last several years. They have pushed the boundaries, but more importantly, they've given space to filmmakers who otherwise wouldn't have gotten a shot. Exactly. And I think totally. it's like, I think about Moonlight, right? Like yeah, Moonlight. you would not have had that story told by a major, you know, by a major motion picture, right. Firm, but you had a movie like that with a beautiful story about, uh, you know, a queer black man exp- like, and living through the world and his lived experience and it won the Oscar for best film, right? As, as it should have, because it's an incredible movie. But that's it. Is I, I get a little defensive when people kind of go after A24 because I'm like, you just, you just weren't. Maybe just your your film experience didn't include uh, different voices and different right. experiences and different ways of right. telling stories before. And maybe it's just kind of throwing you off a little bit. But like, yeah. sit down and give it a chance. Yeah. yeah, you I, I should guess. you should feel that way. But people it also like it, people people feel like uh, it, it's a common thread, especially in the horror genre. Like talking with people is that if they don't like something that's widely loved, that makes them a more interesting person. And I can't I can't promise you enough that that is not true. Like people people who go like, oh, I hate every Conjuring movie. Even like like people who do that, it's just like you're 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 not making yourself more interesting by hating what's widely loved. No, and a twenty a twenty four is not widely loved. Like it's it's it it was built off of the hope of like like you said showing other voices and what cinema can do if you give the right people the right jobs. Absolutely. And uh, that's exactly what this label's been doing. Kyle, sorry, I cut you off once again. <laughs> no, no worries. I was just gonna say it's just like that same like like hipster mentality of certain things and like the gatekeeping that occurs in so many different kind of, I don't know, genres, communities, all kinds of stuff like that. And I think a 24, unfortunately is just 
fallen into that and there's just certain people that choose to sort of express themselves in that way but yeah i'm totally with you cassie i think it's bullshit i don't think people should really be (laughs) focusing all their energy on that because they really should be focusing their energy on like appreciating for appreciate what the studio is actually giving and doing for different filmmakers because i mean how are you like this company has literally brought us some of the literally some of the best films of the past five years not only that but they've given a voice to this genre of horror in a way that we haven't really seen. Like a lot of people have say, said that like a 24 has revitalized the horror genre to some extent. I would uh, agree with that actually. Probably not wholly. I mean, I personally, I think, sure. I think it's created a different genre within it. Like I think they, they've almost the created their I've own genre. I, 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 I think it's like that right now, but I think over time we'll start to see other companies because for probably money reasons saying, Oh, okay, well, a24 is making money because they're making horror movies like this. We'll throw some money at, from our studio to other filmmakers to make horror movies like this. And will that be as successful? Maybe, Ooh. maybe not. But We're getting Lionsgate coming back? <laughs> <Good catch. laughs> well, if we get a Power Rangers too, I'll take it. But I mean, I'm not. I've know, been waiting for that. But it's it's true, right? It's like if it's, you know, even if it spurs a bunch of copycat films or a bunch of, you know, horror movies being developed in other places, it was actually something, Mitch, you said when we were on the radio together, you talked about, like, there's more and more filmmakers who are beginning now to make horror and i think even ari astor himself said in one of his interviews that he did around hereditary that like he knew a horror movie had a better shot of being financed than some other movies like because people tend to think i think there's still this idea that some folks think that horror movies are lowbrow or maybe you can do it for less money and i mean if anything like there's some of the best conversations we've had in popular culture have come through the horror genre and so if if he does with his work and with the films that 824 have put out and all the different filmmakers that are kind of be given the opportunity through that process are able to kind of spur more and more people to do movies cheaply or give, you know, voices to different folks who wouldn't necessarily have access to making films. And I think it's a good thing overall, whether or not those are going to match up to these movies, that can be a whole right. other, you know, right. cerebral debate we can have. And, and that's it is that I don't, I, if somebody watches a movie like hereditary and says, I hated this movie, and then can tell me why they hated it and like go through like, like I didn't like this or this character didn't feel believable to me. I like those conversations. People are like, oh, I just thought it was stupid. It's like, no, tell me why you didn't like it. That's what I get frustrated yeah. with. But I mean, I had this conversation with somebody I know where I went and saw The Nun in theaters and I <laughs> laughed through the whole thing. I was that person, unfortunately. That was rough. <laughs> It was it was funny. Yeah. It had some creepy moments, but it was funny. I'm happy and you could laugh because I was just bored. Like when I, I, saw well, it, I was so bored. I went with my best friend Megan, and we I've seen more horror movies with her than any other person, and so we were chuckling the whole time. Um, but she's also the person I called as soon as I got home from the theater from Hereditary. We stayed on the phone for two hours just unpacking that movie. Yeah. But <laughs> we we laughed through the nun like it was just so silly. But we had a good time. We ate our popcorn. It was it was a popcorn movie. It was fun for us. We just didn't find it scary. And then later, I talked to someone I know who absolutely <laughs> hated Hereditary, loved the nun, and I just thought. Man, this is what I love about this genre. You're yeah. totally wrong, but this is what I love. About yeah. Again, you have your opinion, but it was just it, to me. It's like it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Uh, like I said earlier, there's a lot of movies and subgenres and horror I don't love, but I think that this movie, I think this movie is a little bit alienating because it it brings up some really heavy themes and ideas that a lot of folks aren't comfortable exploring. 
and sometimes it's easy to watch like a supernatural like the nun or something like that because totally it's like, you take oh, yourself yeah. out of it yeah like and that's it it's like we were saying earlier there's some movies that you might feel really safe exploring those fears in and for me like i mean you were mentioning earlier mitch like talking about trauma talking about like family horror talking about like there's a lot of themes around motherhood and what it means to be a mother in this movie like there's a lot of stuff that can trigger a lot of things for people which is again what makes right. it such a powerful movie and one that i think will stand the test of time because those themes don't really go away uh depending on what's popular on kind of what's happening in our society but i think that that's why sometimes it can be a movie that really affects people and also one of the main complaints i heard about the witch was like oh it was too boring right that slow burn so for some people they don't yeah. always like that slow burn of, of that kind of exactly i can understand I, I'm, that. I'm way i'm way more i can totally understand someone not being into the witch that is just like there's no way around it that i can totally understand that's not everybody's well, thing and the language barrier even within that movie as well Absol absolutely absolutely yeah. but but hereditary is just like aside i think it was a bit of the marketing which also this movie revolutionized the way that it was marketed in the way that like um, like get out and hereditary and now we have now seen both get out and hereditary everybody's biting those trailers. Like everybody's oh, making yeah. those trailers now. Or the stores. And I will, exactly. Yeah. And I will yeah. never forget the time that I saw like hereditary's trailer. And I felt so uneasy because I was like, this is like something I've never seen before, but now so many people, it's been like you, I think Kyle had mentioned this before that this has become like a new template almost for like people are, this is now what people are trying to accomplish with horror. And I, I think, think that so, that's yeah. what makes it very exciting is that this is, this is a good school to be looking up to is hereditary. But Cassie, you were talking about like the themes of this movie that are uncomfortable for people. Can you like break down for us what those themes are and what you took away from the movie in terms of like the mental struggles and trauma? And uh, yeah, I mean, there's so, there's so much, like, as you said, and like Kyle mentioned that grief is almost an additional character in the movie. And I think that, I mean, the trauma, the themes of trauma in this movie are so powerful, right? And what always really struck me about this movie and was really reminded of that last night when I was rewatching it was there's the, these traumatic things that happen within the family, like within right at the beginning of the movie, there's the loss of the grandmother, right? Which obviously has uh, a lot of really powerful reverberations for Annie, Tony Collect's character, because she had a very difficult relationship with her mother, right? And then before she really even gets a chance to, to get on her feet, and, and kind of deal with that loss she has this violent and and very quick loss of her child and and you know and to me like one of the greatest scenes in that movie is when peter um is lying in bed after driving home after the accident oh my God. and just with his eyes open just with yeah. This, yeah his eyes open and you just hear tony collette <sighs> screaming Right, you don't see her finding the body in the back of the mm -hmm. car. Like you don't have any of that. You just hear it, and it makes you feel sick. Right, and so oh, her she, screams after oh are just you. You don't uh, hear screams it's, like that. It's, it's, it's not only no. it's not only that. It's it's knowing what they they let you sit with Alex Wolf's thoughts. And yes. what the hell is he going to do? <laughs> well, he's like, in what, shock, what right? Can, he's yeah, in, exactly. He's that's experiencing most, oh. his own trauma, and that's what's so fascinating. And so. I think really telling about this movie is that there's no discussion amongst the family to recover 
from the trauma, yes. at least yeah. none that were shown, right? But we can yes. probably make a pretty good assumption that they didn't sit down and do family therapy or cry together or talk through. They're just already very alienated from each other. I mean, Toni Collette goes and talks to the grief group about her own family history of mental illness and her own family history of trauma and death and suicide. But there is no conversation amongst the family members except for the dinner table scene where she blows up on everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I figure that I figure Alex Wolf probably had a lot of trauma from being in my big fat Greek wedding too, but this was definitely kind of different. The icing on the cake. There's a movie I almost walked out of. I went yeah. and saw that. There's a second one. There's yeah, I was like I didn't know it existed. Oh, yeah. I had a group of friends that we would go to movies together, and one friend got uh, got to make the choice that night, and uh, oh, no. we all decided that she never gets to choose again. <laughs> That's amazing. Now that dinner scene when when yeah Tony Collette's character eventually does sort of yeah I guess blow up on everyone. Like there was so much tension and like just like emotions were like percolating to the top as like you know the narrative was kind of working towards that because you were waiting for someone to say something and that's mm-hmm. how Tony Collette was feeling I guess obviously to some extent and like you were saying we never saw an actual conversation or family discussion or anything like that like of our knowledge. But that show that show, that scene shows that that conversation never happened. I see. Uh, that's that, kind of how yeah, I, I perceived it as well. And yeah. the, and that's what I that's what I love about it too is that Alex Wolf, like Peter, sorry, is saying like, "Do you have something to say to me?" Like, where right, yeah. there is there she had and she did have a lot to say to him. And then we find yeah. out later in her dream state where she tells him like, "I didn't want to be a mother." Oh. Like I write all of those things. And God, I forgot about that part. God, that part <laughs> it was just last it. night just so brutal but i mean again this is what i what i mean about these these feelings of discomfort and trauma like um you know one of the things i talk about with my students i teach a class on the sociology of mental illness and one of the things i talk about in that class is acceptable trauma versus unacceptable trauma right we have certain traumas that people go through that we're like yes this is horrible like a car accident we can see that this was a traumatic incident right uh, but then there's other traumas people go through and sometimes there's the trauma of becoming a mother of like the whole, I mean, it, it changes your whole life. It changes your body. It is a powerful and sometimes terrible, <laughs> powerful experience. Like it, it really, it's a very unique experience to the person. Right. And, but we don't always acknowledge that we have this idea that right. Moms are immediately supposed to jump in and be the perfect mom and be in love with their baby child. Right. And we don't talk about the trauma of motherhood. We don't talk about the expectations that we have for that. And so you see, these themes of motherhood and you know quote-unquote bad mothers and throughout the movie from Tony Collette's mothers right kind of her recollections of the story um on to how she interacts with her own children even that scene where she's pulling Charlie in from outside she's so aggressive with Charlie and that's obviously very pointed to kind of show this disconnect with her children meanwhile there's also the unacceptable trauma of we don't talk about mental illness in our society in a, in a way that's comfortable. I mean, we, we're starting to, we have campaigns where apparently we talk about it once a year now, yeah. <laughs> but which is obviously not enough. And but then we kind of have that too, where the only place that she's obviously comfortable talking about her own trauma and the own experiences of mental illness in her family, this hereditary thing that's been passed down is in this grief group of strangers. She's not talking about it with her family where they could maybe be, you know, overcome these issues where they can maybe talk about these experiences where they could talk about lived experience of mental illness. They're not doing that. So we have these, these acceptable traumas where we can understand the death of a child is traumatic or the loss of a parent is traumatic. But then there's also this idea that sooner or later, we kind of got to 
put our smiles back on and get on with our lives and move on. And whereas the reality is, is that people experience traumas in very different ways. You know, we could all go through the same car crash together, but how we recover from that is going to be very different just based on who we are, our lived experiences, our unique lives. And so I think that that's something that really comes up in this movie is this kind of expectation around how one is supposed to recover from a trauma. And I think now we kind of think like, well, yeah, if there's the loss of a family member, people will talk about it, they'll mourn together. And as you said, it's very clear from the dinner scene that there, none of that was happening, right? She blames Peter for Charlie's death. That becomes very clear, right? She wants him to take, you know, responsibility for it, even though it truly was an accident, right? And so then all this blame starts coming up and you start to see just how devastating trauma can be on a family unit, on people, if we don't unpack it and actually are willing to look at it. But again, that's a powerful thing. That's a scary thing to do. And it's not an easy thing to do for any human being that's gone through a traumatic event. I don't know what to say because it's like what a heavy. I'm sorry, like we're all just like looking at this. Yeah, no, no, this is it's like oh, this is it's it's great, it's great. But yeah, no, I totally just got lost in like because yeah, I I I entirely I entirely agree. But it's it's nice hearing people talk about uh, like really dissect a film, and you're you're doing a really good job of doing that. But like that that is something that uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say. I sorry, uh, but yeah, it's kind no, of, you, I think don't be sorry. I think about I want to think about with this movie is just how heavy these things can become in our own lives, you know. And we were talking earlier about the the trope of mental illness in in horror, and I mean, we're kind of led to believe that what's happening in the movie is all rooted in mental illness, that Toni Collette has inherited the mental illness that there's a history of in her family, that her, you know, when she's sleepwalking, that she's the one who dug up her mother's grave, that she, like, there's all these kind of red herrings throughout that maybe this, you know, this person, who, whoever, well, I can't remember what her name is, but Anne Dowd's character, the cult member. That oh, she she's so good. Joan? So good. Joan. 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 Yeah. Joan. Yes. Yeah, right, she Joan. is so um, good in this. She's so good, right? And we're kind of like, is she a delusion? Is she, you know, mm-hmm. and what's interesting is that Ari Aster really actually leans heavily on mental illness tropes because we're, it's kind of a red herring, right? And this, it ends up being, it's not mental illness. Well, there's trauma and there's all this pain that has come from it, but it's a cult that has been attacking their families since before the viewer even started watching the movie. But we're kind of, we disregard those real experiences and those real pain because as soon as we're given that family history of mental illness, we're like, Oh yeah, well that's how it goes. Right. There's this kind of settling into that, which also demonstrates like just how comfortable we are using that as shorthand in the, in the horror genre. Right. I was actually going to ask with that, with that whole part and kind of going back to what I had mentioned before about, seeing every character's perspective because it's an interesting way to look at a film where you're watching a mother switch from a mother figure to like a family annihilator which is not something you see often in films and especially having that you're you're actually trying to help process her trauma in this movie or you're led that way for her to get steered off and you're kind of left not knowing how to feel about her as a character because i feel like even even at the end you do feel bad for her even though what she is clearly doing is harming not only well pretty, all her family, obviously, but like a lot of people around her and she right. goes with it. And it's, it's hard to even hate her at that point because well, think, yeah. No, I'm with you on that boozy. Cause I think 
at that point in the movie, I'm still, I'm still, I still got her back because I feel yeah, like you want, you want to see yeah. her do well still. Like you're like, oh, she's going to pull it well, out now. We just, well, you, husband, you also, you under, like, you understand why she did that. You know, she's yeah. manipulated mm-hmm. and taken advantage of as well yeah. from this cult. So she's a person who was vulnerable to some extent through various terrible things that have gone on in her life. And she's just trying to find any kind of solace, basically. And when she finally finds some kind of solace, it ends up being a terrible thing for her family, which is exactly what she didn't want. Right. But you're like, you're watching yeah. her even when she's chasing, like when she's hitting her head on the door or after oh, she's yeah. like, like, like oh, slitting yeah. her throat and shit like that. Where it's Those like, are two you, of my favorite memes. But but you <laughs> still, Jeff, you still sorry. are trying to figure out if she can be saved. Even in that moment, you're trying to figure out if there's some sort of redeemableness because you liked her character for so long and you dealt with all that. You know, well, you, know, you, like, you, you know, one of the things that I think Ari Aster does, a really fantastic job of is ask us to sit with real complex human beings who do things that we don't like and things that go against the stereotype of what we expect. So again, as you said, like to watch her go from a mother to, to this family annihilator position, it makes us very uncomfortable because we don't often see mothers in that role in popular culture. Right. And when we do, we're talking like Joan Crawford, mommy dearest, like it's that extreme stereotype, right? Mothers are supposed to be good and loving and sacrifice themselves for the children. Well, she ends up doing that at the end. Yeah. It's too it's too late, but you know, you kind of watch her, but then there's these little moments where she yells at her son or the way she grabs Charlie from outside, and you're kind of getting challenged on this idea of what a good mother is, because you're like, Well, who's why is she being so mean to her kids, right? Yeah. Because we also don't always allow certain characters or certain stereotypes, especially in terms of gendered stereotypes, leeway or the ability to experience trauma and not be perfect, right? right. And so there's kind of all that going on as well and so when you you do kind of root for her and then you're like oh i don't know if i'm rooting for this person anymore and then you kind of get back on team annie but it's too late and you realize it's like she you know she really was trying in whatever way that she could being a person who was living through trauma living through the effects of it i'm i read a lot of really interesting theories that suggest that the actions that she was doing while she was sleepwalking even though it was painted as you know the whole paint thinner where she was going to set the children on fire which really is meant to kind of set up to make her seem like, oh, she's an unstable mother. Whereas a lot of the theories that I was reading that I thought were really fascinating were suggesting that that was her subconscious trying to save her children from this future in whatever way that she could. So it's just kind of, but again, this good mother, bad mother kind of trope that's going back and forth there. And we kind of come back to this idea of, you know, people are not, perfect people are imperfect creatures and more so the more things that we go through this is why i think too like i midsummer is feels like a call and response to hereditary because in midsummer you see i guess spoilers for midsummer but you see you see what happens when danny's trauma is acknowledged yeah. Right. When her pain is acknowledged, when there's that group of women screaming on the ground with her and feeling it. I mean, however you feel about the ending of that movie and how she reacts. I mean, you can have a whole other discussion on, you know, the cultural norms and ways of doing things and experiencing the world but you also see what happens when somebody's grief is acknowledged when their trauma is acknowledged right and so there's a lot of i think ari astra does a really good job of exploring um the complexities of human beings i read i read some things that talked about exploring broken people and i hate that because people are not broken people go through events that that you know 
can affect them in very deep and powerful ways. And he's asking us to sit with those things about human beings that make us uncomfortable. Yes, there's a supernatural cult going on in hereditary, but it's the actions of the people, right. That, that we're really asked to sit with. And that's, I think what makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So we got to have you back for a midsummer episode, but (laughs) we got to do that. We have to do that. But one thing that we haven't talked about yet that I think is so interesting about this movie is Steve's, character and with the role he plays in this movie and that's gabriel burns character who mm-hmm. is playing the husband who isn't from this lineage from this bloodline right. and how he reacts to everything and that's what i love so much about the movie as well is that watching watching steve go through the phases of trying to you know cope or understand anything that's happening in this movie but he just doesn't know how and yeah. it it shows how that's one of the best things about hereditary, which I know has been mentioned many times, is the very varying different levels of grief and how you deal with them. And I do think, like once again, I, I actually I haven't said this yet, but grief is something that seems to be like every like horror director is trying to do something where it's like, oh, it's about grief, and yeah. it's, they're not they're not nailing it like this though. No. Like this, this is really nailing there's a, that. There's a reason we are banning talking about it after is because everybody <laughs> wants to talk. No, it's 100% serious. It's like bad movies don't get that kind of talk. No, yeah, even, even point. It, Hereditary gets brought up by every guest who wants to say how much they hated Hereditary. Like that's <laughs> e- even the guys who didn't like it want to yeah. mention how much they hated it. So I'll talk that's, about it. <laughs> exactly. That's that's a that's a very powerful movie. But like mm-hmm. I, I just I love the dichotomy of Steve and the rest of the family and how he's trying to cope with all of these things and he he doesn't know how. And yeah. up to up to his final moments, I think those are I think that scene uh, which has been memed to no end now. It's like yeah. one of the it's yeah. it's a very profound moment in horror cinema. And I think that the movie totally deserves every single accolade it could have. And how many movies can we talk about this way? We've well, done a hundred. Right. This is 189. This is our episode 189. And we've already talked about this movie many, many times. Right. And we don't, yeah. we don't get this kind of conversation no, partially because we don't have Cassie with us. <laughs> I'll come on and talk about lots of movies. You can have me yeah. back anytime. This is great procrastination fun. So. <laughs> but you know, and he, it's really interesting is because he's obviously going through pain too, right? Like he's lost his child, but he was obviously trying to, you know, support his partner through the loss of a parent. And then, you know, she was so racked with grief after the death of Charles that he's trying to support her but also kind of trying to keep the trains running on time trying to parent and then you also see like the very real um experiences that happen with grief right um where as you point out like a lot of movies try to do grief and they do it wrong or they just people are just kind of like oh well you know i've wiped away my tear i'm just going to get on with my day and i mean they do it they do it together yeah, exactly. It seems like a lot like and that's something that the horror genre does a lot and they fail. It. Like the genre as a whole almost fails at it a lot is tackling these types of subjects. Yeah, but it is yeah. when you get directors like Ari Aster, who it seems like he has a different understanding of just like the human condition and sure, what people can, are he, capable of. Yeah, where he's gone through this or he's under he understands yeah. it's like he's got this lived experience because you see. 
you know, um, Steve's character, like there's, I forgot the scene and when we watched it last night where he's writing the email, I think it's to somebody at the gallery about how like Annie's on the verge of, or right. maybe in the middle of, and then you never see the end of the email. So you don't yeah. really get this, you know, it's that, that kind of little <laughs> Easter egg to let you fill in the blank there, but you can tell he is concerned about his wife. Well, he's totally concerned is. about how she's acting and what she's going through. He's, and also suggests to us that maybe there has been this behavior in the past. Like maybe there has been, a psychotic break in the past yeah. like maybe she has had a breakdown before right. that she talks about how her brother and her father and her mother you know well specifically her brother and her father had had mental illness right and then she but she doesn't talk about herself and yet throughout the movie we see both her and steve take pills out of pill bottles so there is kind of this unspoken suggestion around mental illness, but again, no discussion around it. There's no family discussion of, hey, I'm struggling right now, or hey, I'm disassociating from reality right now, and or a partner going to therapy and saying, like, my partner is disassociating from reality, and it's really upsetting me, and I'm scared, and I don't know how to support it. Like, those conversations aren't happening. It's just this heavier and heavier and heavier cloak around these issues and these experiences, which I think is unfortunately a reality for a lot of folks because there is such a stigma around mental illness there is such a stigma around grief and talking through our trauma right there's this idea that we're just supposed to kind of put our happy faces back on and, and be performative as normal at some point right and so steve's character is almost kind of this this person that's just a little bit removed from the family this character who can kind of sit back and go like this is not okay nobody's okay nobody's healthy nobody's well but it also, he's not reflecting on how he's dealing with it or how, right. what kind of his grief is. His grief actually, you can see, is coming out as anger because he's still trying to care for Peter, but he feels like Tony Collect's character isn't. So there's all these like very real reactions to grief and how grief can really fracture within a family unit. And Steve's like attaching on, like the way he is mostly helping um, Annie is really trying to get her to work on her, her project yeah. or because he can. He can see that through her sculptures, she's like actually um, maybe in the past or currently, whatever, it was a form of therapy for her. Like she was working right. through events in her past and vi in a visual way. And he was able to look at that and say, oh, okay, like maybe it I want to see. Yeah. Maybe this is, yeah, maybe this is a good thing. I would like to encourage her to keep working through this because he can see it himself and perceive it in her own way. Because she's, she's making these houses and literally compartmentalizing her thoughts through these actual, you know, miniatures and working through her past experiences and explaining to and presenting in a way that she understands. And it's probably good and for has her some control yeah. over, right? right? Like she has yeah. some control over it. No, I, absolutely. And maybe he's like, okay, if she's functioning, this is normal. This is okay. She's getting mm -hmm. better. Right. And if you think about it, we really, the things that really, bother us about mental illness in this movie really plays on that well are the the behaviors that make us uncomfortable right like yeah. we we can deal with mental illness as long as somebody is still quote-unquote functioning and quote-unquote right. normal and and acting in a way that's going you know trains are running on time you're behaving properly by the social code like all of those things are fine we're fine with mental illness in that regard. The second somebody's disassociating from reality, or the second someone's having a panic attack, or there could be, you know, like I said, like a, a break like from reality, then these are the things that make us uncomfortable. So if anything, it could be that Steve is viewing her working on the project as, okay, this is good. She's normal. She's functioning. Sure. We can we can manage this. And it's like, 
Well, that may be the case, but it also shows us just how much we kind of expect that once folks can get back to work or get back to normal or get back to functioning in whatever way makes sense for us, then we feel comfortable again. And so for him, it's kind of a, a desperate cling to like, maybe this will make things better. Maybe if she's back to working. And then of course that scene where he walks in and she smashed at all the dioramas, yeah. right? Is that reality that she's no, she really does realize, I think yeah. she's no longer in control. Yeah. Did you, and that's what I, I like. One thing I love about Steve's character is that he like try, he tr- obviously he tries throughout the movie to, to connect with her, to be as supportive as he can. But I love when he eventually just gets to the point where he says, I have a son to protect. I have to yeah. protect my yeah, kids. Yeah, that was... It's such a heavy ha- such a heavy realization of where you're at in this story. And that's why I don't understand people who say this movie is slow. I know a lot of people have called this movie slow. I'm like, what the fuck? That, that seen a dinner movie? scene... I was, <laughs> that dinner scene made me very uncomfortable. And oh, yeah. I think it just, it brought up a lot of things for me. It brought up a yeah. lot of things, uh, I think, for a lot of people watching it, especially folks who have lived through grief or trauma or mental illness in their family. It's, I think that scene probably got a little too close to home for a lot of people. The one one thing that I uh, haven't been able to, because obviously I think this movie is going to be one of those movies that we're going to be able to dissect for the next 10 years and we're never going to fully understand what Ari Aster was going for. Because I feel like he has so many different layers in it. But the thing I noticed last night on my like fifth or sixth viewing is the score and where it sounds like uh, it almost sounds like your neighbors playing really loud EDM music, but you can only hear (laughs) like you know what I'm talking about where and it almost sounds like a a, a bathroom. It sounds like like a dryer, like a a clothes dryer that's just ramping up, but played through like a heavy buzz pedal or something. Yeah. Or fuzz pedal and this that's some of the best thuds of all time the best yeah. thuds yeah. yeah but it was it was actually i noticed last night because that it was one of the first times where i noticed the score to the level of what i noticed last night and how it was affecting my heart rate and yeah. how it was affect and also how it was only played at certain scenes and that's something that i'm still i that's like the one thing that i wish i could come onto the podcast and explain why does that score play at this precise time and because it, it, at first it seemed like any time that uh, Charlie or someone was possessed or it seemed like a payment was kind of breaking through, that's like the only thing that I could come up with. And I know that that's e- even that's wrong. Like, I'm like, there's there's so many different levels and layers to this movie to dissect. And I don't know yeah. if we're ever going to find them all. We probably won't. But that's like you said, that's the beautiful thing. You can keep going back and back and revisiting it like the, yeah. the tongue cluck thing. Exactly. I Is that what it is? Cluck? Clock? Yeah, the clock click. Yeah, clicking. I can't do it. I have, I have braces yeah. in, so I can't do it properly. But I remember being in the library the next day after watching that movie, and somebody, like, I, I was, my table was right by the stacks, and somebody in the stacks made that noise. And I just, well, like, closed my book. <laughs> yeah, fuck got this. out of the library. It's like, not today, payment. Not yeah. today. And I think that that's what really gets me. Whereas, like, rewatching it last night, I forgot the, the music at the end during kind of the cult ascension scene when they're in the tree house is almost kind of upbeat. Yeah. Right. You're almost kind of like, Oh, okay. Everything kind of worked out. Okay. You're like, Oh my God. It's happy ending music because it's happy ending for the cult. Exactly. And then the whole movie, the opening credits come into Joni Mitchell's both sides. Now you're like, what did I just watch? (laughs) Yeah. And and doubt and Dowd's voice just like explaining everything yeah. and being like, "This it's is who soothing. you are." It's sort oh of soothing. I feel like Anne Dowd's voiceover was added 
I bet I would oh, guess for sure. ADR is definitely ADR. Yeah, I think it was afterwards. Yeah, she plays like she plays a similar character in The Leftovers. I don't know if anyone here has seen it, but The Leftovers is phenomenal. Cassie, I know you would really like the. That's a show that you would really like. Is The Leftovers? It is phenomenal. Uh, but it is one of those shows where you go like three episodes, being like, "What the fuck is happening?" And then the fourth <laughs> episode, you're like, oh, "Okay, okay, okay." And it on. becomes yeah. one of the most it becomes one of the most complex shows you'll ever see. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I watched her from The Handmaid's Tale. That yeah, was where. Me too. That there was you go. Handmaid's yeah. Tale is great. She's also in Shiloh and Shiloh Two, Shiloh Season. Man, uh, Shiloh killed so, me as a kid. Don't forget about that. God, I forgot about <laughs> Shiloh. Shiloh ruined me because I love beagles. I love beagles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good God. dog movie. Good dog. Man. Yeah, but no, uh, like I'm sure there's going to be like we'll we'll kind of wrap it up here. But uh, I do want to say that since we rewatched it last night, Courtney and I we we booked tattoos for this weekend, or like we're hoping to book it for this weekend, or like at the very least we're going to do next weekend. And uh, she's getting the payment symbol tattooed on her. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm I'm getting the the Twin Peaks Black Lodge symbol, like from if anyone listens to Twin Peaks or watches oh, Twin Peaks. Sorry, amazing. Yeah, my, I'm really my, excited about that. My best friend Megan, my my horror movie friend, uh, well, best friend of all things, but she's the one who really got me into horror movies uh, later in life. She's a massive Twin Peaks fan, and she went to Vancouver this summer and went to the Twin Peaks Cafe. Oh, I was so nice. excited, and of course. It was closed. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, that, oh, that's I terrible. I promised her that post-COVID, whenever that is, we will we will go to the, yeah, absolutely. the Cafe. Beautiful. Yeah. And if you're if you're a fan of Hereditary and into this kind of stuff and you've never seen Twin Peaks, I highly recommend going through David Lynch's Twin Peaks. It's a Oh god, it's just David very, Lynch in general. Oh yeah. I yeah, think David totally. Lynch will help oh. you understand where we are in the world right now. That watch, is so uh, true. Watch the YouTube video David Lynch <laughs> makes quinoa. It's amazing. Oh, that's a good one. That's a, that's good, a good one. one. <laughs> yeah, oh, a good I thought one. you were going to say watch uh, David after dentist. <laughs> I thought you were going to say well, that one too. Oh, that's a good <laughs> one. I haven't classic. seen that one in a while. Classic. Yeah, it's from a while ago. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to touch on Cassie before we close up? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we've covered so much. Oh, I just... yeah. Yeah. This is I an emotional know. experience. It, <laughs> it is really an emotional been. experience. You know, and I think that that's, that's really what, like I said, gets to me about this movie is that it really takes us through the things that, that make us scared, um, that make us uncomfortable. And I think that I would never want to force anybody to sit with anything that's really triggering for them or really, really deeply uncomfortable. But um, there is something powerful about sitting with some of these ideas and these themes in a, in a way that feels safe for you. And again, I think horror movies do that. But again, lots of horror movies can be triggering for folks as well. But if if you can sit with this movie think about it and and think about those themes of trauma think about those themes of mental illness and and how we kind of write off um and pathologize different lived experiences right think about those themes of grief and and trauma in a family and and if you haven't like give this movie a chance and if you decide that you hate this movie send me an email and we'll talk it through <laughs> but i i always just want to urge people to you know i have my comfort horror movies i have the ones that make me feel good but i do like being challenged and i do think that film really is a valuable way for us to like i said explore these things that scare us explore these things about human beings that we don't always like to look at um and movies like this i think make us take a flashlight to the dark places it makes us kind of look at things from a, a really different perspective and 
you know, and it's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to make you question a lot of things, but I think that that's a really valuable tool. So if there's a way to do that, that's safe for you and, and, and to kind of dive in, then I don't know. I think it's, I think it's worth being a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I just yeah. want to know what's your opinion on Ernest? <laughs> Ernest. <laughs> um, I, I've been watching a lot of Ernest. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Well, I won't talk about Ernest. No. no <laughs> now I need to know what. We just showed Ernest Scared Stupid. Ernest Scared Stupid was the first movie that ever really traumatized me and scared the living hell out of me. Like, like actual, like that movie ruined me. And we did an episode on it recently and they had never seen Ernest movies. You know, I, I did see them growing up. I remember just kind of hating it. Did you get scared stupid at all or no? No, but in Mitch's defense, I was thinking about the first movies that really terrified me and like who framed Roger Rabbit. Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. That, That movie, it, it fucked me up good. Um, it's too elastic, you know. There's it's like too, well, and the melting the face, stuff. the whole yeah. underneath the like. I definitely had nightmares about like a steamroller for sure, um, but not the definitely not the Ernest movies. No, <laughs> well, I know Boozy's a big fan of Ernest Slam Dunk. If you want to check something out, it's this on. Weekend. It's on Tubi. Tubi yeah. is great. If you don't have Tubi yet, Cassie, Cassie, oh, yeah, Cassie. Tubi is amazing. Well, Tubi. obviously, I'm missing out on some cultural touchstones. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Okay, no, not only t- is Ernest on there, The Witch is also on there, and it's free. There you yeah, go. like, the, Tubi, Tubi is a streaming platform that you can download anywhere, and it has, like, amazing horror movies. Like, there's oh, okay. there's a great I'm selection. I'm Shudder right now. So. Oh, Shudder's right. the best. But Shutter, the thing yeah. is, like, Tubi is, like, everything that Shudder uh, doesn't want. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe. the quality control a is, lot of garbage. In oh, it's it's true. But shutters become something entirely different this year and like last year. Like they've really upped their game. Okay, oh, sorry, but but we just uh, got a notification that Boozy's phone has died, <laughs> so oh, no. he he's no longer in this conversation. <laughs> he is stuck the way he is currently. Okay, but well, I, that's I think what that, he gets for the earnest comment, I suppose. That's I, yeah, exactly. Those were <laughs> exactly. his famous. That's those were his fair. famous last words. I shouldn't say <laughs> that when he's not here to defend himself anymore. <laughs> okay, well this this was amazing, Cassie. Is there yeah, somewhere well. that uh, our listeners can? reach out to you or follow you in any in any way i'm not sure if you're a social media person but if you have somewhere that they could follow you or reach out to you uh yeah i mean all my social media is private but uh i'm like i said i i teach at the university of regina so if you want to head over to the u of r's website and the sociology department you can find me on there and you, my work email is on there and you're if you want to ask some questions about anything we chatted about i'd be happy to to chat that way Perfect. Um, I'm on Twitter, Perfect. but I'm very, I was on Twitter in when Twitter started then left many years later yeah. and just popped back on. I think I have a hundred followers. So if you're able to find me on Twitter, you can go ahead and request me on Twitter and we can chat there too. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cassie. This was yeah, amazing. And I'm so, so happy that we made this happen and I uh, can't thank you enough for being here. This was, this was awesome. It's no, thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm, I'm so glad we kind of met over the radio so that we yeah. could actually chat because I was really wanting the conversation. So it was really nice to meet all three of you and and chat about all things horror. And uh, I'm probably going to invite myself back on the show sometime soon. This was fun. Absolutely. Always, always, if you if there's something that comes to your mind that you want to talk about, send me a message and we'll make it happen. Yeah, the invitation's just, always there. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cassie. And thank you all for listening to another episode of The Terror Table. <laughs>